Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation, and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Leonie from Sydney, who is 10 years sober and also in my current challenge group at the moment, which is really awesome to have someone that's had so much sobriety under their belt join the challenge. We'll talk later on in this podcast as to why you joined, but thank you so much for coming on today, Leonie. How are you going? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this podcast because in my early days of sobriety, there weren't many tales of people who had come through the other end. So, you know, hopefully this will help other people and, and particularly, you know, people in my age group, I'm 61, it can be done. Amazing. Yeah. And it's, so you quit when you were 51 years old and, and obviously kept that sobriety going. What got you to the point that made you feel like how how bad had the drinking got for you that you decided that you need to to get rid of it? At the end of it, I was drinking four bottles of scotch a week. What? And I know. And... I did some, um, like eight litres of Coke a week. Four, four bottles of scotch a week. Wow. So was that a daily drink? Well, actually, take yeah. us back. When did it start for you and how did it kind of evolve to four bottles of scotch a week? Back in the day, I used um, alcohol as a social lubricant. I'm an introvert, so going out, 
I'm, I'm, I'm fine with small numbers, big numbers are just not comfortable. So that was through my 20s and my 30s. I got to probably my early 40s and um, I was in perimenopause. So I was feeling like a teenager. My daughter was a teenager and it was really triggering. My teenage years were pretty awful and um, I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to do help my daughter through her teenage years because I had nothing to sort of no experience to look back on. And um, also I'd run out of steam. My resilience was very flat. You know, back in the day something would happen and you'd sort of bounce back and then, you know, it would take longer to bounce back and then when the next time you'd bounce back but you wouldn't bounce back the whole way. So it was this process. My resilience bucket was empty as well. And alcohol just crept in. It became my thing. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, that's what I had. It was, was my place. And mm. bit by bit, so say that was starting around 41, I gave up at 51, you know, bit by bit over that decade, it, it crept up. It was like, it was two-thirds of a bottle of scotch a night at the end. And I just got to the point, you know, I, I, I dabbled. It took me three tries in rehab to get it right because the first two times I thought, <laughs> I'll be right. I'll learn to drink in moderation. That was not for me. Yep, yep, that's not for me. And the third time I just realised, no, that just doesn't work for me. It might work for other people but not for me. Um, Yeah. Oh, God. What sort of drunk were you? Like when you say you're drinking, you know, um, two-thirds of a bottle of scotch, how how would that look for you? How would you be at the end of the night when you downed that amount of booze? I was still functioning. Wow. So what was it that made you want to stop? I just, I got to the stage where I just couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I'd had these half tries and I, you know, emptied out the bottle at the end of the night and we were never going to drink again. And then, of course, the next day I'd have to go and buy another bottle because I'd I'd emptied it all out. Um, There was just something deep inside me that got to that point saying, I cannot live my life this way. I don't want to. Were you actually getting drunk from the two-thirds of a bottle of scotch? Were you drunk by the end of the night? Um, not slurry, staggery drunk. Occasionally I would be, but mostly I was functioning. Wow. Existing was probably the word for it. Existing and not living, yes. Yeah, because I I guess I imagine someone that's drinking that much, you know, to be quite, you know, pissed pretty much at the end of the night and, and then waking up with this remorse. But if you're not getting that drunk and you're actually still functioning, what part of it made you feel like I can't do this anymore? Was it just the sheer consumption or you just knew it was bad? All those things. Um, I actually, I just didn't want my life to be that way. I didn't want to have to have it. That's so you it felt like you it. had to have it. You felt like you had to have it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. And, and and how did it look for you if you, if you didn't have it? Oh, gosh, I was just on tenterhooks until mm-hmm. I could. Because through through those years, the kids were teenagers, so I had to go and pick them up and do all that sort of stuff. And I didn't I didn't go drunk. I waited until I'd picked them up to start drinking, and that was just like sheer hell. That waiting. Sometimes I almost resented the fact that I had to go and get them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was ruling my life, and it was just it was no life. Yeah, I was actually speaking to someone the other day who said it was actually in a coaching call where she said that she was starting to resent the fact that she'd have to pick up her kids from a party, and therefore yeah. that meant she couldn't drink, and so she was actually resenting them for having to pick them up. And yeah, now now of course realizing that she that she can pick them up anytime, and it, mm-hmm. you know she's so grateful for that. But at the time when you're caught in that cycle of drinking and so anything that interferes with the drinking, 
we get so pissed off and we just, you know, they just want to keep drinking, you know, we just want to keep drinking and have nothing interfere with it. Mm, that's so true. That, that was it. I did. I, I, I did resent whatever stopped me from drinking, but then I'd feel guilty that I resented. Yeah, <laughs> quite, right. Quite a lot of emotions going on there. It, it was awful. And the power, powerlessness of the whole thing, you know, I, I felt as though it wasn't, it wasn't even in my control. I just had to have it. Wow, so you felt completely out of control that you just physically were almost drawn, compelled to drink it. Mm, and that's mm, pretty mm. scary. Yeah, yeah, compelled is a good word, actually. Yeah. I'm mm. so glad I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, I always say that to people too. Like in the, in the early days, you know, when you're seeing people drinking outside on a sunny day in a cafe, rather than feel like you're missing out, if you can look at them and think, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. You know, thank God I'm free from that. Even if you're only two weeks in, it's mm, a good way yeah. to think to to be in that place. Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, it's just such a, a deep relief to know that you're free from it. Whatever shit life has thrown at me in the 10 years, and there's been a lot, I no longer need to either. It's not, it's, I don't, you know, there's been some really big stuff and I haven't thought, gee, I have to have a drink. My thoughts been, gee, I'm so glad I don't have to have a drink. Oh, that is the, that's the key. And I use that as well with quitting smoking, but that thing of like, thank God I don't need to do that. Yeah, it's mm. just, if you can get your mindset there, you're kind of home and hosed, I reckon. <laughs> if you can get, once you're there and feeling like that, and sometimes it's a daily reminder, you know, thank God. Oh, I don't sometimes have to drink. it's minute, minute by minute. Oh my God, minute. yes. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Mm. Yes. Yeah, 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 100%. Tell me, um, do you think that the alcohol, because I, I usually, I tend to think that we drink alcohol because there's some, there's a discomfort. There's something in us that we don't, we're not happy to sit with. And so we're drinking to cover that up. Was that the case for you, do you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was sort of my resilience bucket was empty, but there's also that, you know, I don't feel good enough. I'm not enough. And, you know, the the longer I was drinking, the, the deeper that hole got. You know, such a loser. You, you can't not have a drink. There's lots of beat-up talk going on. Yeah, absolutely. This, I reckon it, that is the underlying core for so many people that, you know, that I've done coaching sessions with. There's this underlying belief of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, and then we, we kind of hate on ourselves when we drink and then, like you say, it just exacerbates that feeling even more so when we're, especially when we're waking up like you loser, you idiot. Yeah, and then that whole feeling of I'm not good enough just gets greater and greater and unfortunately, yeah, we're kind of just making it worse for ourselves. That feeling of I'm not good enough, you know, that's a deep, that's a deep belief that sits within us and, mm. yeah, how, how were you able to hold that and hold that belief and, and change that belief if it, if it changed? I, it hasn't changed, actually. It's still a struggle. Um, mm. I feel like a fraud if I say I am enough. It's like it's incongru- I'm saying something that I don't feel. So mm. I've just reached a compromise and I say I am. Mm. That I find really powerful. I am enough feels like a lie. If I say I am, mm-hmm. that really works for me. So. Yeah, yeah. I've got that on a yoga mat. I am, I am that and I am that I am. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. really powerful. Just yeah. keeping it simple. Yeah. And then just backtracking for a minute, you know, back to the thinking about not drinking. There was this little voice inside and it's so desperate, so lost. And, you know, whenever I thought about drinking, there was this little voice saying, but what do I do? That, you know, if I don't drink, what do I do? And that was a little lost voice and that kept me drinking for a long time because I didn't know what I would do if I stopped drinking. Were you socialising 
was drinking was socializing part of your drinking or were you more drinking on your own I was mostly drinking on my own you know when I went out I drank but yeah I was a daily drinker so come what may there I was yeah right yeah so that sense of what do I do if I'm not drinking obviously that's what held you back so scary to leap into that great unknown it's that's Mm. what do I do or who am I without the alcohol and that's this big scary that we can't even answer until we dive into it Mm -hmm. it's like a big black void yeah no I got to the stage where I thought I don't know what I'm going to do but I'll find out I don't know what I'm going to do but I'll find out I love that were your kids noticing your drinking towards the end uh, towards the the end of it my, my oldest was 19 and she said to my husband, she goes, oh, gee, mum drinks a lot, doesn't she? And it's only because she'd been going out and seeing what other people drank. I have asked them about it. They've said it hasn't. I'm sure it did. I, you know, I, I, was, I was smoking then. I gave up drinking first. So I'd be out on the back, back veranda with my scotch and coke and my durries in my own little world. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be out there like the whole night. You know, I'd, I'd blow in and out, go out and have my cigarette, but I was actually having, you know, a big slurp of drink as well. So you're sort of hiding it. Yeah, I was. I suppose I was hiding it, but I was going outside to smoke anyway. So I suppose I just combined the the two. Yeah. Did your husband? So your husband knew the level to which you were drinking. Yeah, he was concerned. But I think it's the case for a lot of people. If someone says something, you you just you, you just don't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that point, isn't it? Where you've got to come in it, come at it in your own time, and when you're mm. ready. That's why we can't force other people to to quit when they're not ready if they're not ready they're just not ready (laughs) yeah yeah and by sort of forcing the issue just alienates the person yeah it's so scary just going back again you know when you're feeling like I'm not good enough or I'm not enough and what do I do if I don't drink who am I if I don't drink it is really really scary and I totally understand why people would feel really scared to dive into that great unknown without it and that's why it's great to have this conversation perhaps someone can relate to that feeling and then know well someone else kind of took a baby step off the ledge and and they're Mm. still here to tell the tale so tell me about the day when you finally decided enough's enough and what did you do how did you start to take that step into the great unknown well like I said I've been rehab three times so it was the third time and so rehab is like a private psychiatric hospital that's what mine was I just couldn't do it anymore I just something in me saying no to go to those those places you know I had to get a um referral from my GP and I went to her and I said look I just can't do this anymore and I was talking about drinking and she was a little you know she misread what I was saying I just could not do it anymore Jenny I was just done it didn't matter what I had to do just didn't want to do that anymore what did she think you were saying she thought I didn't want to do life anymore oh right Mm. yeah, like I just can't do it. I don't want to live this life. And that's that's what it sounds like, isn't it? Or it could sound like that. But um, I guess that's what you essentially are saying, though, when because alcohol polarises our life so much, it becomes our life, you know, it really does become that. So in a way, kind of are saying I don't want to do life anymore until you learn to do life without it and realise that there is another life without the alcohol. Mm, mm, yeah mm. Mm-hmm. so you went into rehab and what I mean what was it there's something in there that they taught you and and how you know how was that experience feels really weird being in a psychiatric hospital you know there's an element of shame that all people are going to think I'm 
I'm a nutter or whatever. But again, there was this thing in me going, I don't care. I don't care what people think. This is what I need to do to start this journey. I think it was more being away from daily triggers. I didn't have to think about who had to be where or any of the daily stuff. I was just in this weird cocoon. I got fed. There were there were classes about, um, you know, the process of what addiction was and how you step away from it and... That was that was a stepping stone. I was I was there for three weeks. So tell me but, about when when you got home and how you know. Okay, so now you're home. You've you've done three weeks in rehab. You've done a couple of classes. Plonk, back into life. Mm, How's that? Yeah, it's not quite plonk because um, you spend a fair bit of time doing a discharge plan. Okay, mm-hmm. when you're in rehab, um, you know it's you know what are five things you can do if you get a strong craving um, and, you know, what talking about what cravings were. It's very different oh. now because it's coming from a trauma-informed perspective, so it's so yeah. different. Yeah. So I did that and I did a weekly addiction recovery and I also did a um, six-month acceptance and commitment therapy, is that what it's called, ACT therapy, mm-hmm. which was they were very helpful things in that first year. Just there were anchors in my week to get through because it wasn't flowers and rainbows for me. It was just a fucking hard slog, one step after the other. Wow. Mm-hmm. But I was going to do it. It was like six months, uh, six weeks after I stopped drinking. It was my daughter's 21st here at oh. home. Wow. And, uh, oh, how, how am I going to do this? From the outset, I was just going, this party's going to happen. So how, how is it going to happen? Back in the day, I would imagine how that first drink would feel. You know, you'd be anticipating five whiskey o'clock all day long. Oh, my God, I'm going to have that first drink. It's going to feel blah, blah, blah. I thought, well, I just have to reverse this. How does it feel not to have that drink? How does it feel to see myself at my daughter's 21st not drinking? Yeah. I did it. And the, the feeling I had the next morning, oh, my God, that was better than any drink, any anything I got through that and I just oh Goosey's talking about it now yeah it was just magic and I thought oh okay if this is what not drinking is about I will do more of this is that because you just felt so proud of yourself and because you felt so that you could do it you realized you could actually do it yeah yeah I was so proud of myself and there was only one person who could do that and that was me and I did it and, yeah, it was that was fuel that kept me going for quite some time. Ah, oh, that's so awesome. That's one thing I, try, you know, try and talk about in the challenge groups as well is visualising yourself at the thing, wherever the event that's, that's perhaps waiting you and visualising yourself there not drinking. And so I really like to you sort of flip the fantasy you flipped it from imagining the fantasizing about the drink and how good that would feel. Well, okay, well, let's flip it. And and rather than think that, think about how good it would feel to be there and what's that going to be like to be there not drinking. That's really cool. Yeah. It, it's like the first six months after I stopped drinking, there were like funerals and all sorts of things. And I, I use that technique a lot. Mm. It's like building a muscle. Every time you do that, it gets a bit better. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Absolutely love that. So anyone listening now just thinking to you've got something coming up and you're starting to fantasise about what it would be like to drink, then flip it on its head and fantasise about what it would be like to not drink. And I love how you also use that, uh, I guess, that emotional anchoring 
from how you felt when you woke up the day after and how proud you felt mm. of yourself and using that to kind of spur you on. Did, I didn't ever want to go back to day zero. Never, ever did I want to do day zero. Mm-hmm. That was a really big thing for me. If, if temptations got really strong, not day zero, not doing it. That was, it was just, I, I don't know where this determination came from to, to follow through. It was just obviously this was a, the right, you know, this was the right time for me to, to stop drinking, leave it behind and face whatever it was I'd been avoiding facing. Yeah, um, yeah. Facing what you'd been avoiding facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how did it feel to face what you'd been avoiding? Because that's what it's all about, right? Oh, my God, it was, it was so hard. It was just mm-hmm. awful. The anger that came out was just, oh, where did that come from? What is that? It was also an understanding that this was stuff that was had to come out for me to stay, to leave alcohol behind. This stuff had to come out. Right, and what? without going into details if you don't want to, but what kind of things, or give us an idea of the sort of things that you realised you had to kind of deal with? Was it like stuff from your past or old traumas? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Maybe just acknowledge them at that stage because, I mean, I can only deal with as much as I can deal with, so everything all at once is too much. There was lots of seeing psychologists to deal with all this stuff, but also it helped to have it normalised. Yeah, of course this stuff's going to come out. You've been squashing it down for all this time, so... What is happening to you is perfectly normal. Right. You know, you're not mm. a total nutcase. Mm. If you squash something down in a like in a bucket or something with enough pressure, it's going to come out somewhere somehow. It'll find the weaknesses in the bucket or the vessel, and it'll ooze out. <laughs> That's true. Um, so that's what it's been doing for for decades, and then it's no alcohol, it just burst out, and it was so hard. But again, I was so proud of myself. Yeah, you have to work through the underlying stuff. If we don't go deeper, then it's just willpower and we have a limited amount of willpower. It's mm. it's really it really truly is about digging deep and doing the work to kind of to heal. And that's what makes the big changes and that's how we sustain change. Obviously while you're 10 years down the track, you know, mm. it helps mm. us sustain the change. But you can only deal with as much as you can deal with. I don't know. I'd almost get obliterated if everything came out all at once. That's why stuff's still coming out now. Totally, it only, yeah. It can only come out when I've got the capacity to deal with it is when it will come out. Absolutely. Yeah. Even in my own journey, I'm four and a half years sober and four and a half years of working on this stuff and I'm still continuing day to day, day to day, I'm still working on stuff and it's not like it ever goes but we just, I think we get a bit more resilient and something else, else comes up or we expand on that and we grow a little bit more. I think the thing is not being scared to to dig in and to kind of face it because whatever is sitting there is such a beautiful teacher that if we can kind of sit with it and, and try and learn from it and grow, you know, it, it just enhances our life so much more rather than squishing it down because the more we squish, like you say, it's got to go somewhere. It's going to come out somewhere. So if it's not coming out in addiction, it's probably going to show up as illness. You know, we have to deal with this stuff in, in order to grow and in order to even just stay healthy and survive. I think it's so important. Mm, mm. And I think over the years, it's, I suppose the word capacity comes to mind. You know, I've developed the capacity to sit with whatever comes up. Sometimes I feel like I have none, but all in all, yeah, my capacity to, my awareness, 
has grown. And, you know, there's been some really cool times, but there's some been some deeply dark times as well. And that's just part of being alive. Uh, yeah, and it is part of the human experience that it can't all be great all the time. And we naturally have ups and downs and we have to suffer in order to grow. I think we don't, if everything was perfect all the time, what growth could there possibly be? If you look back on your own life and you reflect and you think, wow, those hardest times is what gave me the growth. It actually forced me to take action perhaps or it forced me to look at things differently and I had to dig deep. So it's a good thing. It's something to be grateful for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Even sort of when I'm feeling really, you know, when life seems overwhelming, I'm still, I don't know, I'm so, so grateful that I don't have to have a drink. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing what you can do without alcohol, you know, like some of the toughest, like I went through some of the toughest stuff I've ever been through last year and it showed Mm. me what I was made of because I never thought I could do stuff like dealing, you know, being with my dad as he took his last breath and Mm. and watching him deteriorate in front of my eyes and he was my hero and I never thought I could ever deal with that. And I did it and I did it sober and even the grieving, I've been doing it sober and I'm so proud of myself. Mm. Fuck, it's Mm. incredible. And I had that capacity to do that. If I had been drinking, oh, fuck that. Oh, it just would have been a shit show. And I Mm. wouldn't have been able to even be present for him during that and I wouldn't have been able to be present in my own grief. And I think I'd Mm. be in a terrible place right now. In these past 10 years, there's been three brothers-in-law, us, my dad and my mother-in-law and some sort of extended family members. There's been, there's been a lot, but, you know, I've done it all on my own two feet. Mm. Funerals haven't been shit shows that they have been in the past. Right. I've had much more fun at weddings in the past 10 years than I had previously. Yeah, so how do you show up for something like that, for a wedding, and particularly early on in sobriety? How did you, was it the same thing? You were just flipping and imagining, and but, and when you were there, how, how did you deal with it? Sometimes it was really hard and other times it was good. I got better at it. I'd go for a walk because I'm a shy person. So a wedding is like, you know, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes and go to a wedding. (laughs) um, So I would go for a walk. Then I was quite open about it. Even big family affairs, I'd just go for a walk just to decompress from being around so many people. Yeah. What got me through it. And that's just being so true to yourself. It's actually noticing I'm not comfortable and rather than drinking through that, I'm actually Mm. just going to remove myself from the situation because that feels good for me and I think that's such a great thing to do, to just know what you actually want and to act on it rather than trying to please everyone else or trying to ignore. I I guess ignoring how we feel is pleasing everyone else, right? So Mm. you you, you have that attunement to yourself to think, "Mm, I'm not feeling good, I'm out. And off mm. you go for a walk. And would you come back from the walk feeling a little more grounded or how would you feel after the walk? It was more I like taking a deep breath and plunging back in. I actually have more fun at weddings now. So I get up and dance, make an idiot of myself because I don't have to worry about making an idiot of myself. So oh, I do it. So cool. <laughs> do you still yeah. go for a walk now when you go to a wedding yeah. or you're not feeling the need to? Yeah. I do. I think that's because I'm an introvert. Yeah. It's almost too, too much energy, too many people around me. I need to just go and clear it. Yeah, know thyself. Yeah, but one really amazing thing I have discovered is I still have social anxiety, but, but that hasn't changed. What I have realised is I would go somewhere and I'd have several drinks, you know, just to get rid of the anxiety. So there was a certain period of time that passed and then I'd start feeling okay. 
I still have that certain period of time. Now that I'm sober, I have found that once I've been there for a certain period of time, it's okay. So in the past, I would have those drinks that would feel okay, but now I there's exactly that same period of time with no drink and I feel okay. Oh, that's really interesting. I know. Right, so it was nothing probably to do with the alcohol. It was just the fact of letting the nervous system settle into what's going on around you and just being there. Okay, let's say you rock up to something and there's people there perhaps you don't know. How do you, within yourself, settle in? What do you do? other than go for a walk, because I'm sure you can't get somewhere and then go, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I've done it pretty quickly and sometimes. I don't know. I get I get a drink of water because it's as though holding a drink is like a shield. Usually someone that I know a little bit, so you talk to that person and then you sort of that person talks to the other, you know. You, it's the same drunk or sober, so I don't need to be drunk to do it. Yeah, I think I used to have a bit of social anxiety around people I didn't know very well. So Mm. also the same thing, like I always made sure I had a drink of some sort, non-alcoholic. Also acknowledging my own feelings of that, all right, I'm feeling a bit, because my face would go really red. That was always a short giveaway for me. Or And I I would start being really aware of myself and what I was saying and judging everything that I was doing and saying. So I, I would have that sort of just say to myself, it's okay, you're feeling nervous, you're feeling uncomfortable and anxious. And that's all right. That's mm. it, you know, rather than trying to fight it and just understand it. And I'll think to myself, just take some long, slow, deep breaths and then see how you feel or go on, you know, I wouldn't go for a walk perhaps, but I'd go and say wash a couple of dishes or something and come back or, mm. you know, and I've, I think you're right too. I think after a while you do settle in. It's that initial getting there and you're feeling a bit anxious and your nervous system's a bit on. So it's a bit just like grounding in, taking the breaths and being becoming aware of what's actually going on for you so you don't have Mm. to just react that you can acknowledge it and work with it a bit but that's what works for me anyway so yeah 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 look in all honesty I fucking detest parties and I detest really going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) I like my people my people Mm -hmm. that I'm safe with I feel great and then oh god I hate it when I get asked for something because mostly I don't want to go and I'm trying to push that a little bit now and just actually accept some offers and, and go and, and try. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. But I'll just sort of meet myself from if I really don't want to go, I'm just I'm not going, and I just say politely no. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to make it today, but it's all about doing what's right for us. Like, yeah, it's a big thing, you know, to just do what we want to do. And I guess being mindful of other people's feelings, but trying to just live as authentically as we can. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I've spent decades overriding myself. And I I think COVID has really made me quite insular as well. So I do have to give myself a little kick to get out the door sometimes. What what else would you do early on to alleviate the cravings or to ride those waves? You said that there was, they suggested five things in rehab that you could do. What, do you remember what those were? Um, They were really basic, like have a drink of water. Yep. Do some vacuuming. Have a bath. Keeps the house clean. I know. Double blessing there. The vacuuming. <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember what the other two were. I know one thing I did do in the early days was I'd water my pot plants at 5 p.m. because that was when I started drinking, so I had that other thing to do. Ah, cool. Yep. That was my major routine. And, you know, the distraction really is distract. find yep. something to do. But I, I also, I don't know, I got a bit gentle with myself too because there wasn't quite as much you know, they, they just talked about cravings and they would come and they would go and not much more than that. And then, you know, sort of sometimes I could stop and be really gentle with myself, like if it was one of my kids being upset. I just wonder what that is. Yeah. Rather than that, oh, my God, I've got a craving. Yeah. So being curious with it. Mm, but so gentle. Just yeah. like it would be with, a you know, when your kids were little. I think that's a lovely approach and that's that's sort of what I try to incorporate when um, with the coaching is if something is a big trigger for you or a big emotional disturbance and we start the inner critic starts, perhaps it's something like I'm not good enough or um, I'm unlovable, you know, what would you say to a child? Would you, you know, what would you say to a child that was going through that? Well, you'd hold them, you'd, you know, you'd be gentle with them and, mm. you know, what, figuring out what, what, what you would have needed, you know, perhaps if you were going through that in childhood, what you would have needed to alleviate that feeling. And can we give ourselves that compassion now as adults? Mm. And, mm. yeah, that's really lovely, like, just to be gentle. We'd never say to a kid, oh, shut the fuck up. Go drink mm. a bottle of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> no, not ever. Mm. No, yes. Yeah, we'd never. We would want to hear, you know, we'd reassure them and let them be heard and let them, yeah, know that they were loved and, being very gentle, mm. I think that's mm. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose the other thing that happened for me too was, um, like, leaving an addiction behind is like leaving a friend behind that is no longer really a friend. Or it, it, it's like, in a way, it's like a death, and there's there's a grieving process that comes mm-hmm. after it. Mm. So the first year is difficult because it's, you know, as if you're grieving a loved one, the first time you do something without that person or without alcohol is difficult. Yeah. It's it's learning to to live. For me, it was learning to live my life without alcohol for that occasion. So, you know, it, it would be, well, that 21st party, <laughs> um, that was a big one to start with. But, you know, for that first year, it was learning to do things differently. Mm. You know, I don't use alcohol, so what do I do? It, it, it's a grieving process. It absolutely yeah. is, yeah. In that first year, and it's learning to live without that thing. Yeah, we had someone on the in our graduates group the other day. She's just been so amazing in this whole journey, and she's grown so much and had amazing realizations. And she went to something recently and felt a bit of shame around the fact that she couldn't drink and mm. felt a bit triggered. Also, because she was around people she didn't know very well. But the next day, had that realization of. If I had have drunk, I would have been absolutely shit-faced at this wedding, you know, and then had that full-on realisation, this deep 
Mm, I don't want to do that ever again. But this grieving that was coming out also, you know, Mm. really grieving. Wow, I cannot do that. And I've, I didn't fully cry, but I remember feeling a bit angry at one point, like, Mm. why the fuck, Mm. you know, I waited up and thought, well, do I actually want to do that? But there is a grieving in it. You're so right. There is a grieving in it. And that's okay too. That's, that's part of the process. Yeah. And it, it helped me get through it. It also helped me anticipate and, and rehearse things, you know, that, that first wedding, that first funeral, the first family barbecue, the first Easter, all those things I was doing it differently. It was new. It was because I'd experienced grief, I knew that the first time was the toughest time. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. The first time is always the toughest time. And if you can get through that, mm-hmm. it does get easier. So yeah. Get through the next one. Yeah, remember that, people, if you're listening and you're on this journey and something's coming up that's new and know that 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 first time will be a bit difficult. It's going to stretch your boundaries a little bit, but know that once you're through that, it will be easier next time. And it does get easier, doesn't it? Like you can, Mm. you know, you go to weddings and funerals now and it's it's very rarely a problem. Well, I know that's the case for me. Mm. Is Mm. that the case for you? It's not even a thing anymore. I think about it. I'm just relieved, actually, that I don't have to drink. And then I watch all the idiots get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the stupid juice. Go, oh. Yeah, they go, oh, you're so amazing, you don't drink. Oh, you're so amazing. And just, you know that drunk talk on and on. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, remembering that. Yeah, I think so if you're getting yourself into a flap and feeling like this is really hard, I think just think about, you know, that, that it will get easier. It will get easier. And think about how good you're going to feel tomorrow because that might be a first too you may have never been to a wedding in your adult years <laughs> and woken up without a hangover the next day and woken up fresh and, and ready to face the day and being really proud of yourself imagine I never would have imagined that I could have woken up after a wedding and not been ashamed of myself <laughs> or questioning my behavior holy yep, shit yep. so that's a first too I mean there's another first that's to be had the yeah, first yep. time you wake up the day after and you can feel proud of yourself and sort of a big relief as well. You know, you would have seen people doing what you would have once done and you're not doing it. You just go, oh, my God, I don't have to do that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, How did your relationship with yourself change? Did it did it change going from, I know with myself it was profound, like, and it took a while, but from the self-loathing that I would go through. It has. I still, I found the whole process really difficult and I would get, Really, I, I would feel like a bit of a loser when all around me there were stories of people getting sober and it was wonderful and mm. um, I wanted to shout. It's not wonderful. It's sometimes, and for me, I don't know what it's like. I would for me, it was just bloody hard work. Oh, that's a um, shame. But I still did it. I'm, I'm really proud of myself that even though it was a slog, here I am 10 years down the track. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of what I've done. Yeah, absolutely. So if if you were kind of thinking to yourself, I'm so glad I don't have to do this anymore and you were flipping the fantasy and imagining yourself and you were waking up feeling good about yourself, what was it about it that was so hard? For me, you know, there's a pretty strong trauma background, so it's all that stuff. For people who don't, yeah, yeah. So for people who aren't carrying that, it may be different. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm still working through stuff. That said, I'm just... Really, really glad I don't drink. Yeah. I don't know where I would be if I was still drinking. I did some sums. Mm-hmm. If I was still drinking uh, these past 10 years, I would have consumed 
2,080 bottles of scotch, which is 1,560 litres of scotch. That would have cost me $83,200. But because I drank scotch and coke, I would have consumed 3,650 bottles of 1.2 litre bottles of coke, which is 4,550 litres of coke. So, you know, you combine those two things, and over the past 10 years, I would have consumed 6,110 litres of poison. Fuck. Imagine what that would have done to your body. I know. And if you think of, <laughs> think of, think of like a 2,000-litre water tank, three of those, I know. Yeah. And I've also, I've also saved $91,230. Holy shit. I know. <laughs> but, you know, it's the vision of the water tanks that's just got me going, oh, my God. Wow. Just, Amazing. Oh, yeah. It's so full on. It's really good to do sums like that. So for you, the hard part was the trauma that came up. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. and look, and some people that um, I work with as well, and I've spoken about this a lot of the podcast, I, I'd recommend um, – seeing a trauma-informed therapist, psychotherapist, Mm. I think that makes a huge difference. Mm. I think most people, there is some degree of trauma if they've ended up with a problem addiction. There's usually Mm. something that's sitting there, whether it's a big T trauma or perhaps even just a repetitive, you know, not attuning with a parent properly, you know, that causes, you know, huge trauma for for kids. Well, that's as big as a big big T trauma, really. It is, yeah. Years and years and years. um, That's right. There's something called adverse childhood events. If you have been exposed to enough of those, it's totally understandable that you're hitting the piss. Absolutely, yeah. That's You can look that up on, um, it's called the ACE score, and you can yep. look that up even on Google and you can, you know, put in the adverse childhood events. But it doesn't even have to be any that are listed on there, you know. It can just be the fact that mum and dad were super busy and, they went, and it's not about making mum and dad wrong or, oh, I had the worst childhood no. or anything like that. A lot of people think that they had the most amazing childhood, but when you knuckle on down into it, it's like, oh, you know, it's not good for a child to be ignored by their parent. It causes us to disassociate from our own feelings and we're not taught to express them. And hey, presto, of you know, mm. get this thing called alcohol, which gives me a dopamine hit and now I feel great. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, in it, and it doesn't have to be, it's not this big heavy thing either. It's really empowering to um, become aware of the traumas and see how they affect our patterns and our behaviours and being able to hold yeah. them rather than push them down and push them away. It's a lot healthier. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's sort of well, initially recognising that something might be there because some of it's buried so deep. Yeah. And then, yeah, finding ways of, dealing with it and there's, there's so much more informed help around these days than even 10 years ago it's oh, so different it's amazing like there's so and there's so many different forms of um of therapy that involves you know work with trauma it can be sound healing and the um somatic experiencing you know using mm-hmm. the body um even yoga therapists there's so much out there mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have to be this sitting down talk therapy stuff there's so yeah, much yeah. and it's so amazing you know it yeah. is, it is. It's just finding the right one. Finding the right person, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah and the right form of it because there is so much out there now. It's great that it's 
recognize that, um, you know, the trauma can be held in your body. It's not just all in your head. That weird shit going on in your body is real too. Yeah, and usually if there is a disturbance, if there is a pathology, if there's something there in the body and it could be like eczema, it could be these autoimmune diseases. And mm, mm. Um, Have you read Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score? I've, I haven't read all the way. Um, yeah. I've, I've actually got Hashimoto's and ah. um, <laughs> yeah, that's stress and um, mm-hmm. suppressing stuff. So Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a whole new world. It's exciting, or Gabo Mate, and all that yeah, stuff. it's amazing. There's a great yeah. movie documentary. It's a documentary, and I probably mentioned it before on this podcast. You probably know it as well. But the wisdom of trauma, and it's uh, a film that largely features Gabo Mate. And mm-hmm. it's, I think you can just look it up on, I'll put it in the show notes, but if you just Google yeah. the Wisdom of Trauma movie, mm. this is for people listening, you know, they can, you can get the movie. I think you can just donate now to watch it. You used to have to wait yeah. till it was released, but yeah. you can donate a certain amount of money and there's a whole lot of trauma talks with it as well that you can sign up for. The movie is, the documentary is profound. It's mm-hmm. absolutely amazing and talks a lot about this kind of stuff and, and how trauma and early childhood stuff shows up. There's some powerful pieces in that movie. Wow, yeah, it's great. Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't because I think when I first became aware of it, it was you know just at certain times and it, the times never suited. Ah, um, uh, yes, yeah, so you can see it any time now. I'll actually post it in our. Well, I'll post it on the show notes for this podcast, and I'll also post it in our um, in our challenge group Facebook as mm-hmm. well, so you can see mm-hmm. it as well. So and that yeah, and so you've joined. I couldn't believe it when you called me and said, "Oh, I'm ten years sober, but I want to join your challenge group." It's like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> you should be taking this course. Um, yeah, which is great. And obviously you were doing it for your own reasons, for for connection and also for a sugar addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I found the feelings around the sugar were very similar to addiction. It was, you know, I, that, that hoarding feeling, do I have enough to get through the night? Wow. Um, and, yeah. do you know, I just, I always wanted it. I was just always I had to have it and mm-hmm. you know it's an addiction so I wanted to treat it like an addiction and leave it behind like I have with the alcohol and the cigarettes yeah and for me the way to do that is with support yeah and and facing facing what it is that's coming up and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's been interesting because of that I've told you but I'll share with the listeners that all of the people in our graduates group not all but a big group of them have decided in solidarity for you and you don't even know them, they're all doing six weeks sugar-free as well and I'm doing it as well. Wow, I've noticed that, yeah, when I'm stressed, I I tend to want to go for sugar. I hadn't really noticed it before because I don't have heaps of sugar. And so Mm. it's the same thing applies. Okay, I'm feeling stressed. Well, rather than go for this, I guess the emotional charge wasn't there because there's not the same... For me, it wasn't like I'm waking up feeling full of shame and regret. Perhaps you might have if you're fully binging. But, sorry, I digress. So what's going on for me? What am I feeling? What am I actually feeling? And what is it I actually need right now? And it's it's actually not sugar. It's probably mm. I need to settle my nervous system. Yep. I need to yep. take some deep breaths or whatever. Mm. So um, I know it's only early days in the challenge, but even the stuff that we the, the daily action steps that we're taking within the challenge, they do still apply, mm, I guess, to do. this same addiction. So not that I want everyone that's having a sugar addiction to, I don't want to become the sugar quit person. 
<laughs> we did talk about this because I did say, oh, look, I don't know if I can help you, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we had a pretty honest conversation about it. But, um, yeah. yeah, we yeah. thought we'd give it a try and see how it feels. But I guess it's even just having that connection to other people and, mm. you know, and yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hard when you're introverted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I don't sort of want to go and find a big big group of people anywhere. So this, this suits me for now. It's been really helpful. I've been able to step further away from sugar. It's not what it was. But it, it's because I'm dealing with it. This is for me, not necessarily the case for anyone else, but for me it was feeling like an addiction. I was having yeah. that shame and annoyance of having to have it. It just felt so much like alcohol and the cigarettes. So mm. I just made sense to treat it that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing, isn't it, just sitting with that disturbance and can I sit with mm. what's really going on and try and hold that and and see what happens. Yeah, so mm. I'd be interested to see, you know, how it goes for you with that, that sugar thing. But I've, the reason I got you on the podcast was not, yeah, it was to talk about your 10 years of sobriety and, mm. you know, and, you know, also being an elder in, in this society and, you know, being alcohol-free and how is that for you? Do you feel... Do you feel, is there a stigma around being sober and being 61 or, you know, how is it for I th- you? I think sometimes people feel uncomfortable around me because it's a mirror. Um, well, that's it at any age, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. yeah. The feeling I get is they're uncomfortable because I don't drink and it mm-hmm. just is makes them think about how much they drink. I'm, I'm just really glad to have this opportunity because there'll be people like me out there going, oh, you know, can older people do it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, of, a lot of your podcast is like 40s and younger. It's not older people. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it hits older people. I just hope someone hears this and goes, oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that the change is possible. I also really mm-hmm. appreciate the fact that you came on and said it wasn't so easy for you and that a lot of trauma did come up because mm-hmm. that's, that's honest. Like that's the honest yep. truth. And when you take out take away the Band-Aid of alcohol, shit gets real, shit comes up. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it's good to have this conversation, you know, to be honest, that it's not all just amazing all the time. It, there is really, mm. could be some really dark times in there, but you can endure it and you can get through it, you know. There would be darker times if I'd stayed drinking. Um, and I, I know that now that I'm not drinking. Um, yeah. I'm not going to drink anymore. I, I've just... It just I don't have to drink. Um, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't have to drink. That's mm. a, and that can be a daily mantra for people too. Mm. You know, I don't have to, and just for today, I don't have to drink. Mm. That's yeah. right. And as far as the sugar goes, you know, for me, I'm just saying, well, for six weeks, I'm not having any sugar, not even fruit, and that feels doable. But the, the you know, it, the plan is I won't have sugar. But that feels too scary right now. Mm-hmm. To say I'm not having any sugar for six weeks feels achievable. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's all it is. Like sometimes it might just be all I can manage for me and all I can even visualise right now is six weeks mm-hmm. and that's fine. And and you try that and see how it goes. Maybe at the end of that you try another six weeks and see how exactly. that goes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just have it in like manageable chunks, like you say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, like you said earlier, sometimes it's just minute by minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the sugar thing does seem easier because I do have the, 
I've, I've left the alcohol and the cigarettes behind, so I have experience of leaving stuff behind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, I don't know, it's like, like a reminder of what I've done and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a reminder to stay, um, don't avoid things. have a look at what's coming up face what's coming up yep and that's what came up in our graduates call the other day when a a few of the people who are experienced because one of the ladies in our grads group Kate she was saying she had so much sugar in her cupboard that she and same thing like she knew that (laughs) she'd just go and take little bits throughout the day she was consuming Mm. heaps and she's really fit and healthy you couldn't you know she's she looks amazing um but then she said, fuck, like now that it's gone, she realised it was really full on. It was really quite an addiction mm. as well. So she's sort of dealing. And so it's all about becoming mindful um, yep. with any addiction, I guess. It's about becoming mindful, again, what's going on for me, but, you know, mm. what do I really need? And, um, yeah, and mindfully, because we become so unmindful. Is that a word? Unmindful. It's not a word, but we're just going to go with it. But when we're just drinking mindlessly, or when we're shoving uh, sugar in our faces or, yep. or, you know, carbs, whatever it is, that we're not being mindful, mm. um, you know, so it's bringing it back to having mindful awareness of what we're actually doing mm. and getting back into our bodies, getting back into that presence of what's actually happening. It's yep. huge and it's all about that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, a- another thing I do that's quite gentle is, um, and I-, I did it with the alcohol and the cigarettes, was I'd get a craving and then I'd just go, oh, that's right, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And that yeah. was sort of, that was like a acknowledging what was going on, but it was also a pat on my back, you know. Yeah. So, oh, I don't do that. It's just sometimes it would feel so nice to say and I'm, I- Doing that right, you know, I, I do that now with, with the sugar thing. Oh, I don't do that anymore. I love that. Yeah, that's, and it's so simple. And often these things, the most profound things are the most simple mm, things. Mm, like, oh, that's right. I don't do that. Yeah, and it's so gentle. It's very gentle, yeah. It's, um, and it's a pat, you know, it's a pat on your back as well. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So how is mm. the sugar thing going for you? Um. It's been uh, like a struggle over the past few days. My my mum was unwell, so I went up to Brisbane, and uh, she's fine now. But um, you know, there were some big emotions, <laughs> and um, there was a oh sugar, no, I don't do that. And you know, quite often there'd be that oh sugar, no, no sugar, no, no, it's okay. I don't I don't have to have it. That's another thing. Oh, I don't have to have it. That's yeah. just. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, a, you know, such a realisation. Oh, gosh, I don't have to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you did notice as well the emotional charge that with your mum being unwell mm-hmm. and this, that and then the wanting, the craving that came. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it wasn't as strong as with the alcohol and the cigarettes, but it was a craving nonetheless. Um, right, yeah. But, again, it was that being gentle with myself. Just the, mm-hmm. the, Oh my god! There it is. I'm a loser. I'm having cravings. It's just being so gentle and so kind, and patting yourself on the back. Mm, I love that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not always like, possible, but when you can, it's good. Well, I I really do try to yeah that 
that's what I would try and stress to anybody is just gentle kindness. What's mm. the most loving thing for myself right now? What's the kindest thing I can do for myself right now? It's very rarely go drink a bottle of scotch. <laughs> Mm. it's that's never the kindest option because usually that makes us feel more terrible so mm. the mm. kindest thing for me right now might be to go for a walk or to go have a nice long bath or pat my dog mm. or look mm. out outside at the sky and go wow there's a sky out there you know being yeah. really mindful about what's going yeah. on around us yeah 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 or to call someone that's to call a loving person in our life that's in support of what we're doing and yeah, sometimes that that is the kindest thing mm. I can do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, but also being being in a group like this is uh, it's just it just just knowing that everyone's there doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, like a collective consciousness. So yeah. not not feeling alone in all of it. Yeah, even when it's really hard, you go, oh, I'm not alone. There's all these other people doing it too. Exactly. Like yeah. Out of it. Yeah. Definitely takes the sting out of it and and hopefully everyone's in that same mindset of what's the kindest thing and being kind and gentle and compassion with themselves mm. and also with the other people in the group. You know, it's, yep. you know, hopefully a very safe container. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So to, um, if you could go back in time, Leonie, and speak to the 41-year-old self that was not feeling very resilient, what would you say to her? What advice would you give her? I don't think she would have listened to me because <laughs> I would have been in the throes of my addiction. I would have said, oh, fuck off, you idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, I don't know. It's just it's possible. That's all. Because when, when you're in the throes of it, you, don't, you can't hear big stuff. So if someone said it's possible, then that would be more powerful than saying, you know, you're damaging yourself or you're drinking 2,000 litres or whatever. It's just to give me a sense of possibility that things might be different. That would yeah. be it for me. Yeah, I think that knowing that it's a possibility, you know, mm. and, and Gabor says as well that it's not about hope. Hope makes something seem a bit more desperate, but a possibility it just has a different mm. ring to it too. So it's always a it possibility. Does, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's always possibility yeah, yeah. for change. I mean, for keeping me on the straight and narrow, knowing about 2,000 litres is good. But, um, you know, back when I was drinking, it would have been horrible. To, to, well, I would have known that stuff, but I would have ignored it. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you continue to feel proud of yourself these days? Most of the time too, I do. But there are still yeah. times that I feel like, you know, why well, haven't I sorted my shit out? I must be a loser. Um it's not not everything solved. There's still stuff to do, and I still have really shitty days. But I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't drink. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm. Well, that was great. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and for your vulnerability and for your honesty. And um, I think that there will be a lot of people that will relate to that and mm. and sense the possibility in there as well. Yeah. 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 It is possible. Thank you for having me on, Danny. I think it's been just really so nice to tell my story and have it heard because there's not much of an opportunity for that. Thank you. And um, I'll see you tonight in the Breath Workshop with Sam Brown. You will. All right. Thanks, Danny. Bye. Awesome. See you, Leonie. Bye.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.